Hey there, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at zinimi.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode. Everybody, welcome to the Starting a Counseling Practice podcast. I get to interview Ronald Ma today, who's going to be sharing his story of starting a private practice. He's actually someone that I um, did some consulting sessions with, meaning like I hired him um, years ago um, to ask some questions and and get some support. And he was part of of my journey as well. So I'm really delighted to have him here today um, to share his story. And if you're following along online, Ronald mah.com if you want to go and check out his website. Welcome, Ronald. Hey, welcome. Good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you too. Do you, you, wanna... you know, let me just say that um, I was thinking about when we when we first met and uh, I did the little consult for you. Yeah. And I was trying to remember what exactly I said. And I think one of the things that I did say essentially was, you know, Miranda, just go for it. You know, go with your own instincts. You know, the heck with what everybody else tells you, because you know, if you're going to go down in flames, you know, you want to light your own fire, and you know, just do do what you think is right. Take all the advice, but then you got to make your choice yourself. Yeah, you know? and I think you de- definitely did it and flourished as a result. <laughs> for sure. I think the other thing I remember, like two, like two, like random bits of advice too. Uh, I don't know why they stuck with me, but one of them was I was talking about subletting my office for, you know, cause I was so worried about the like five or $600 a month um, for my rent for the full-time office. And you said, you're going to make more money back by having the office available when you have, you have to move a client or see someone in crisis, or there's a holiday than you ever will by that, like a hundred dollars a month to build it out, you know, to rent it out. And I was like, I you were so incredibly right. Like at every point, every time I had to move somebody or what have you, I thought, oh, this is just such a lovely thing to know that my office is my office. It was lovely. Um, And then you gave me a piece of advice that I now tell people not to do. Um, So we won't share that one. But (laughs) 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 at the time I was like, okay, that sounds great. And then I later trusted my intuition and business sense and went, that was terrible advice. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. But yeah, yeah, right. That's what we all do. You got to own it, right? Yes, own it. So let's talk about um, in one minute or less, why did you decide to become a therapist? Um, my first career was as an educator. I was a teacher and I'm a credentialed elementary school teacher, high school teacher. And I actually owned, started, owned and ran a preschool and daycare for 11 years and directed for four more years after that. But in the midst of that, you know, I realized that uh, teaching and early child education was great. But, you know, clearly there's these kids who had deeper issues and the deeper issues you know, more or less had to do with their families. Mm-hmm. You know, this kid's anxious. Well, if I had those parents, I'd be anxious too. <laughs> you right? know, if if, uh, if my parents were separated and at war with each other and and having a tug of war over you uh, on, on a regular basis and um, t- telling the more or less telling or acting in a way that said, oh, yeah, your other primary caregiver is a jerk mm-hmm. and a horrible person. It's really messed up, you know, so. It, it was like, okay, I, I'm doing the work, but I'm doing it on this, what felt to me on the outer edge. 
Mm-hmm. And I want to get to to the more to the core of it. Yeah. Uh, and the core of it, you know, is that those levels, which is that not the kids, but the, the parents. But then eventually that also meant not necessarily just the surface things in the current life, but also the deeper issues, which has to do with trauma, attachment, and, and so forth. So there, there's a depth and substance to it, you know. Yeah, I love uh, that. Uh, I saw that. So what, um, and I'm going to say this just to, for context, what year did you d- decide to become a therapist? Um, I had, I started my master's uh, in 87. So, awesome. so at that point, I had been running my schools for nine years. Yeah. So I was 33 years of age, you know, which is kind of a telling thing in that, uh, like working with young people, it says, you haven't, you haven't have to be out there in the world screwing up enough doing what you think is right and what you what you know for sure as a teenager that you're going to do for the rest of your life to find out that some of it kicks you in the butt some of it's annoying as heck and some of it's just not as rewarding um so by then you know and it was probably um at least a two or three year process prior to starting the masters where mm-hmm. it's like you know i started realizing this is not exactly what i want to do mm-hmm. and making that career adjustment um and, you know, you know, a bit to pull, pull the trigger at 33 to start my master's. Awesome. Um, and, and then how long did it take between, between that and being fully licensed at that time? Well, my four-year plan, which is two years to do my master's degree and two years to, to do the hours to get licensed, mm-hmm. uh, took seven years. <laughs> Not an uncommon um, yeah. scenario. Uh, so, so I didn't get licensed until I was 40. And it seemed agonizingly long. And... Mm. You know, I often tell people that, you know, if I'd known it was me that take that long, be that hard, I might not have done it. Mm-hmm. But 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 totally the best thing I ever did professionally in my mm-hmm. career Just absolutely totally. But, you know, it's a journey I had just like people have different journeys, you know, and um, yeah. it, it and, and so as it turned out, I got licensed at 40, which seems like old as heck to start a, a new career, but, but not in our field, really. No. And, and here I am. Uh, I'm 68, you know, 28 years past then. And, you know, that's just like, well, that's incidental, you know. I'm, yeah, I'm it's, still it's a drop in the bucket. Yeah. yeah. What, um, how, how long from the point that you got licensed, how soon did you open up your own business, your own private practice? Was it immediate? Was it, did you work for some other people for a little while? Because you were already an entrepreneur. You were already a business owner before right. um, you were licensed. It was immediate. Um, yeah. What I had was that um, uh, in my uh, internship at the time, when I got licensed, I think I had about 12 or more steady clients. Mm. So that instantaneously became a, a core for you know, the private practice. Um, so the private practice wasn't a, the full-time employment yet because mm. you know, it, it wasn't quite enough uh, clients it was you know there were lower fees uh pro mm. bono, maybe a pro bono client or two um and I, so i had another another job um mm. at the time um but part of the building private practice was that i was able to get the 12 or so clients beforehand that they none of them were assigned to me or given to me by by my supervisor mm. so the self-promotion the putting yourself out there uh, I, I've been doing, you know, all during the, the internship, um, and the private practice internship. So, so I got it going ahead of time. So I was able to switch quickly 
you know, uh, where it was viable to have a another part-time job rather than a full-time job. Yeah. How long did it take to move into your practice being your primary income? Um, I'd say within two or three years. Mm-hmm. I say w- w- within within two within two or three years. Uh, and the reason I hesitate to say exactly how long is because um, the part-time job I had um, that I got at a, at an agency was was started up being twenty hours a week, and by the time I left it, it was only ten hours a week. Mm-hmm. And the last couple of years, I did it because I really liked the people. Mm-hmm. I really liked the camaraderie, but but um, it wasn't financially beneficial to me. Yeah. Uh, by then, my private practice had become you know, solid enough that I could uh, I could give it up. And so, um, licensed in '94, and quit that other job uh, in '98. So four years, but probably it was after a couple of years I didn't need to do it anymore. Yeah. And did you ever do managed care and, and get paneled for insurance companies? I did. I did some managed care. Mm-hmm. Um, I did two versions of managed care. Um, and, part, and part of it was, um, first of all, I, I did county, county work, which is, uh, you know, th- uh, through the county did Medi-Cal. And part of that was because uh, if you get a good reputation, they throw clients all over at you. That, that, oh, that was my experience. Sure. Yeah. Because they also play you crap. there's always that like that wonderful give and take of like if you want to fill as quickly as possible it will be at the lowest fee possible right yeah and and they tend to be you know clients tend to be flaky and no show and all that stuff but it was also like you know there's a population of people that i did want to work with and i did really enjoy them uh, a lot and i I had loads of those those clients um um but at the same time at at some point became financially not the math didn't work out in terms of time and income but yeah. uh, so that I did that, but I kept that longer than my other managed care. My other managed care people, I did that more as a um, cooperation rather than mm-hmm. building practice because Co- you know people have have their their care, and uh, clients clients like therapists are, end up being in class classes. Mm-hmm. The, the, there's the upper class who can pay for anything on their own, or they got mm-hmm. great insurance because they they're self employed or have great uh, coverage through their affluent. Uh, work situation mm-hmm. and then there's a middle class and there's a, a working class and a lower class so so therapists are like that but clients are like that and i wanted to work with that spectrum so and there are a lot of people had had their managed care system so it was like if i join uh, a managed care situation then they could access mm-hmm. you know their, their, their services and i did that mm-hmm. and felt abused and taken advantage of and you know um but i did it and it's and it's um certainly a viable way to build your practice. But also I was very conscious of, you know, the the math being very simple, which is that um, it took three county clients to pay for one full fee client. Yeah. And it took at least two managed care clients to pay for one full fee client. Yeah. You know, so, so so the math became very simple at some point and eventually, um, you know, building up the private practice referrals. So I didn't need them. Yeah. You know, so I was doing that as accommodation, but uh, what told me very, very clearly that it was time to stop mm-hmm. is that anytime I would get mail from one of the managed care people, oh. my heart would sink yeah. and I would hit this, I would have this wave of depression. Like, and yeah. basically my body was telling me, nah, this is not no. fun. 
I think that just do it. I cut it off a long time ago now. Yeah. I think this is the part that I, I really struggle with in terms of we as therapists are taking the hit to try to make therapy accessible um, by accepting really crazy rates and really um, exploitive practices by insurance companies. Um, while insurance companies last year um, in 2020, they made, I have a piece of paper somewhere, um, $30 billion in profit, mm-hmm. right? More than Amazon. <laughs> And our, more than Amazon, Amazon made $21 billion in profit. Insurance companies made $30 billion of profit as we are sitting there going like, we're going to make it accessible. I'm like, the way we make it accessible is that we say no to contracts that are exploitive and that are problematic and that we advocate for legislation that says, hey, you know what? Insurance companies, you have all these rules that say that within 90 days, like, or within 30 days, I need to apply to give you the information. So you pay me or you're not going to pay me for the service, but then you can approve a service, pay me for the service, tell me everything's fine. And then in some cases, come back three, five or seven years later and say, oh, actually our mistake, that wasn't a thing. And we're going to take your money today, five, you know, thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars out of nowhere. And people are just scratching their head with no recourse like that. To me, those kinds of exploitive practices, like we have to really fight against and make some shifts against, as opposed to just looking at, well, we'll make it accessible to people while we are then becoming the martyrs in like a broken system. Anyways, off of myself. Well, you know, there's a, there's a various, uh, conceptualizations or paradigms or philosophies of doing therapy. Mm-hmm. But, and, and one of the fundamental ones is that as a therapist, you're helping clients become empowered yeah. to, to, have, to have control, mastery of their own lives, you know, to, to own their own narrative if, you, if you're looking at narrative therapy. And, and then, you know, uh, it's something counterindicative, uh, contradictory to feel so disempowered if you're, if you're beholden to managed care. Now, yeah. there are plenty of therapists who are uh, almost fully dependent on managed care referrals. And this is HMO, not, not even PPO, but yeah. you know, you know, uh, HMO situations. And they get um, a fraction of, of what I get. Now, I have, you know, I've always had a sliding scale of some sort, you know, so, so mm-hmm. there's full fee and there's, there's lower fee clients. Um, but, you know, I, and I, uh, during the pandemic, during the quarantine, you know, I, I, I spiked up to uh, from my average of about 25 or so clients a week, which I've held steady for for years, to mm-hmm. over over 35 a couple of weeks, which is like, this Ooh. is crazy, you know, too available. Yeah. But so I resettled it, remanaged it, so it's back toward, you know, a little bit over 25, 26, mm-hmm. you know. But what, what happened was that during this time, I uh, uh, had colleagues who um, saw maybe up one quarter to one third more clients than I saw mm-hmm. a week who had either comparable or less income mm-hmm. because the numbers are, the math just works out. You know, yeah. uh, when you're getting paid, depending on what the managed care uh, rates are, $60, $70, $80 per session versus, you know, the, whatever the market rate is, is in your area. Yeah. yeah. It's a big difference. So, and she was so disempowered, take advantage of, and it's like, 
I'm trying to help this person feel powerful and good about themselves. And I feel uh, uh, stepped on. So, yeah. but that's also, but the other part of it is the convenience of getting the referrals and the anxiety, which you're working with people yeah. uh, and fear of rejection of putting themselves off to, to market. Yeah. So how do you counterbalance that? Well, you get yourself referrals, yeah. you know, and that's building the private practice by, by building those referrals and marketing yourself. When did you first um, build a website? Because when we were start, even when I was starting, like having a website was relatively controversial. Right. Um, so what did, when did you start with your website and how did you feel about the controversy? Well, you know, at, at first, you know, having a website was like, was a big deal, uh, innovative and sexy. And now everybody has a website. You know, everybody has a website. So um, I, like I said, I, I resigned from the age, from the agency, my part-time job in 98. Mm -hmm. And part of it was that I was dedicating um, a full day every week to putting, to, to putting things on my website. So was, that was 98. So it's probably around somewhere in the late nineties. Um, That's awesome. And, you know, you know, I, I have a lot of things about websites themselves because um, websites, um, <laughs> everybody has websites now. Everybody has websites and they're usually, they're often designed by a website designer who is not a therapist. So guess what? Everybody has this pretty website, you know, with bamboo and waterfalls. The rocks stack. The bamboo and waterfalls, you know, and, <laughs> and everybody's website says, I really, really care about clients and I really, really try hard. Well, we all care and try hard. <laughs> What's the big deal? So that's the issue about content. Yeah. About, about marketing yourself and um yeah. i don't know if, if miranda if you've been to my website lately but um the re i worked on it for uh every thursday for a few years and then continue to do so and i've and i i have enough skills that i've um i use a uh cut and paste method soft uh software to, to design my own website i have a huge website for a private practice practitioner mm -hmm. it's, it's huge okay mm -hmm. and it's also quirky in my personality, just like my office behind me, all the funny <laughs> stuff. So it's very reflective of me. Mm -hmm. And the content is key because people will go to the website to see, to get contact information. And there's some people, and again, so some people, just like uh, I'm telling somebody who's trying to find love in their life, you only got to find one, you know? Yeah. So you have to touch that one person. So why you? You know, what makes you distinctive what makes you special what makes it sound like you're uh the right person and this is the difference in marketing which uh i mean there was a, a private practice person who i disagreed with fundamentally mm -hmm. uh, we, you, you probably know who, who who they are um who, who whose emphasis was the marketing that i'm a therapist who helps uh women become more independent i'm a mm -hmm. therapist who helped men uh, manage their relationships and basically it externalized what they did mm -hmm. it was problem focused yeah problem focus niche focus also mm -hmm. as opposed to i'm ronald i'm this human being who's a therapist who has these capacities abilities personality intelligence and so forth you know and people are referring to me just like uh you and i both are licensed marriage and family therapists mm -hmm. most clients don't even know what the heck that is correct you know, 
the Correct. difference between an LMFT, a LCSW, social worker, a psychologist, a LPCC, they don't know. They don't care. Mm -hmm. And often, usually, they don't even care if you're licensed or not, except in the very beginning, mm -hmm. you know, because they, they, have, they have some kind of filter. Yeah. So they get referred, they refer to me. So in my website, I very purposely present my personality, my sense of humor. Um, on the page that says about Ronald, uh, if you look at that, there's a picture of me when I was three years old. <laughs> you know, I always point out, this, that's the last time I was cute. <laughs> um, but that's purposeful. It's, it's kind of cute. It's kind of funny. But it's also letting people know that this is me as a human being. Yeah. I was a kid. You know, yeah. I, I, do have, I do have these things, you know. So this is kind of taking that principle of self-disclosure to some degree and putting it on the website. Yeah. So that's where the content. Which I, write, I think is. Honest, is is so so interesting because I I remember when I was coming up in the aughts, <laughs> like, like how do you say that in the aughts? Um, that like self-disclosure and saying anything about how you are as a therapist or what your style is or who you are as a human being was absolutely like it was just stomped upon. I remember these big conversations even and I think we're both in a camp lift serve together and there would be these fiery conversations about like how dare you share this or that detail about yourself um, and put that into the world and it's been such an interesting space and I personally I come from the perspective of we need to do both we need to talk with people about like their pain and reach them where they're at because we know that a lot of people are searching based on their pain but we need to really figure out who we are. And I think most therapists don't know who they are, Ronald. Right. Like, right. they don't know who they are or how they help. Well, you know, um, the issue of self-disclosure, I mean, it's, it, you know, self-disclosure comes clearly from a humanistic orientation of therapy. Mm -hmm. And most of us have some humanistic orientations. And by the way, um, Miranda, do you, do you ever self-disclose that you're a woman? <laughs> Uh, you know what? I, uh, and, and I, right? I try not to let people know that I'm Chinese necessarily. <laughs> like what the hell, you know, yeah. or, or, or age. In other or words, like the idea of like, whether you're married or not, like if right. you're wearing a ring or you wear glasses or whatever the details are, it's, it's ridiculous. Well, and, and humanistic orientation is that my expertise or my sense of you comes from my sense of myself. Mm. So that's kind of what you're talking about. How do you market yourself? Like, you know, if I'm selling a car, if I don't know about the exhaust, the engine, the, the horsepower, the, the leather, the, you know, the braking system, the radar and everything, I can't market it. You know, so a lot of what I, when I, when I do coaching of therapists, you know, I, I, I poke at them and say, who are you? What are you? You know, mm -hmm. and uh, how are you any good? Which is very anxiety provoking yes. for a therapist. It is. You know, in fact, that's my conversation I had with that other consultant one time is that I want, you know, I, I try to teach people to market themselves. And they actually said, oh, I used to do that, but it scares them too much. And it's like <sighs> pandering to the no, fear. As no. opposed to as therapists, we tell people, go into your fear. You and you're it, supposed, you know? and this is the part too, is that so if you don't know what your outcomes are, whether you're really helping and how you help then how can you truly show up in the room in that space? If you have this imposter piece, if you have this, mm -hmm. this place of anxiety that's sitting in the room 
and it's not going to help. So we take people through, like we give them scripts and say, here are the questions to ask in detail with your clients. And the questions are clinically based. They are really focused on, on an experience that will actually help the client see their progress. But it also gives the therapist a place of like hearing like, oh, there was progress. Oh, I'm, I'm seeing these words are being used to describe the work that we're doing because my client can describe what I do better than I can, which is why a client referral will always want be more apt to schedule with you than an internet referral until you figure out how to basically translate what these clients are experiencing into your website, you know, but again, it's all about the awareness. We have to dig in. Yeah. I, I, I have a, a slightly more, uh, that's more quantified yeah. and, and specific, which makes sense in, in terms of what you do. But uh, I, I use these uh, simpler, simple uh, encompassing questions, which is, which ironically, sometimes people have a hard time answering. Oh, which yeah. is, Hey, it's Kelly. Are you enjoying today's episode? There is so much more to starting your private practice. That's why we created Business School for Therapists. It's our lifetime access business building program created especially for you and all the future stages of practice that you are going to go through. If you're ready to join a community that supports you, that to have access to a massive library of private practice trainings covering everything from creating your vision to setting your fee to getting you legally covered and more, this is for you. Simply go to bit.ly slash therapist business school to get started. How does therapy work? And some people, they, they're, they're kind of flustered because they don't have an answer to that. Yeah. Well, if you're a therapist, you don't even know how therapy works, then what, what's, what's, what are you doing? And then more specifically is that, how, how, what, what is it about you that makes therapy work? And then now with that is actually can be more nuanced, which is that, what is it about you that makes therapy work with this teenage boy who's smoking too much pot and getting kicked out of school? Mm-hmm. What is it about you that, that, that connects with this uh, woman who's been going through her uh, third breakup in the last three months mm. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes it work, you know? So, yeah. and then, you know, um, what needs to happen? What needs to happen for your, what, what's your client looking for and what they, what do they need? Yeah. And even though those are such generic questions, there are some deep, people are really uh, flummoxed how to answer that. I think a hundred percent, because I asked those questions actually of people for years and would have to do a lot of like digging and probing and what have you to get them to answer it. Right. And it wasn't until I started giving them a script and having them go through this qualitative process that like, mm-hmm then it, it kind of made my job like a hell of a lot easier, which is why I did it. But, but no, I think honestly, I've gotten on the phone with thousands of therapists and asked those questions, Ronald, and 95% of them, 95 out of hundred did not have an answer, which is just so telling in our profession and not helpful. And I think what we do is really great, but like, we need to get some more understanding and, and insights <laughs> into the, what we're doing the, sar- the sarcastic part of me 
you know, ends up looking at them and says, so, so how do you think therapy works? He says, well, you think therapy works because you go into therapy with the client and your wonderfulness exudes out of you. And your wonderfulness somehow transfers across the room or into the, in, into the camera. And they feel so wonderful that they change and grow. They stop dating assholes or they stop drinking or whatever else, you know. <laughs> and then people are like hurt and appalled that their wonderfulness is not enough or rejected, mm -hmm. as opposed to, okay, if we, now even if I'm being sarcastic about your wonderfulness, let's break it down conceptually a little bit more, which is what? That has to do with attachment theory. Yeah. It has to do with attachment theory. It has to do with rapport. It has to do with transfers and counter-transfers, which is something else, which is why, um, you know, what you're doing is really useful for the practice way, but also the clinical orientation, which is that this is why experienced people are, 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 are really good. You know, it's not that a, a new person can't be really, really excellent in their work, but a new person who's not really experienced, they're doing good work oftentimes because they're instinctive. Because mm -hmm. they're, they're instinctive and or that their personality fits well with either the particular client or the situation. But this is something that I know has happened with me because this is decades of work now, which is sometimes something happens and it's like, whether it's clinical or marketing and it's out of the seat of my pants. I'm just like, I'm like, uh, and I do something. And when it works, it's like absolutely amazing. It's great, but it's instinctive. And instinctive is a little bit of conceptualization, but not the full canopy of the spectrum of knowledge and experience, yeah. but just a little bit. So instinct yeah. is not without background. But what happens if it works afterwards, I go, that was great. Why did that work? And basically it's called deconstructing it yeah. or conceptualizing it. And if I can conceptualize it, mm -hmm. now I can reuse it. Where before I was reactive, now I could be proactive. So now I get a referral or now I get this woman who, uh, who, has, who says that she broke up and she has trouble with relationships and that she's been dating meth head meth head bike biker assholes one after the mm -hmm. other and conceptually i go hmm it sounds my my theory based on that is uh it's an attachment issue that probably has to do with having grown up with an emotionally unavailable father figure mm -hmm. and the therapy is, is in large part is going to have to do with me being male older mm -hmm. and an authority figure and being intimate appropriately with good boundaries mm -hmm. so the whole assessment and treatment is already planned out, anticipated. And when the, when the person shows up, I'm already activating that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm being appropriately paternal mm -hmm. in some ways, but with the boundaries, mm -hmm. you know, and I even tell my client that. And then it works and it's, it's, it's wonderful and everything else. So, mm -hmm. but, but, um, you know, it's like after the fact, you figure it out. And that's the same thing with marketing too, mm -hmm. is that you do things instinctively that make sense. And one of the things I do when I talk to people about marketing is that I do marketing overtly from a, from a clinical perspective. Mm -hmm. it, that it's not just about presenting yourself, having a shiny website and, you know, cute business cards and whatnot. Yeah. That's about, you know, how do you know yourself and how do you in a way that has clinical integrity? And that's the yeah. big issue. Because people yes. think that, that marketing loses the, the integrity of your work. No. As, as, marketing as, is, is the first step of your informed consent. 
It's letting people know like what they can expect when they get on the phone with you. Mm -hmm. Like it's giving them a sense of like what therapy can look like. And if you give them like a good clinical education, then they're prepared to kind of show up in that experience or again, to say, oh, this isn't what I wanted. I didn't want this person who's going to do attachment work or I want homework or I don't want homework or whatever the thing is. Like, here's what I know about myself. Um, We get a chance to really help prime people to make choices that really resonate with what their intuition is telling them and Mm -hmm. to be able to like show up versus, Mm -hmm. you know, we go, well, I don't, this person's canceling and rescheduling all the time and they're not preparing for therapy sessions. Well, what the F does that really mean? Like in your world, right? Here's what therapy looks like, but this may be their only experience. They may have only seen therapy on television where, what do we see? Like somebody comes in, lays on the couch, complains a lot, and then sleeps with their therapist. Like that, Mm -hmm. like pisses me off every time. I'm like, every time (laughs) I see a show and I'm like, please don't, please don't, please don't, please don't. Like, why must you stop it? You know, it's not helpful. Every once in a while, I've seen some places where I'm like, oh, that's actually like, Mm -hmm. For media, like that's a relatively like good representation of therapy. Oh yeah, like, when it's done well, I want to jump up and down and say, oh, yes. that's that that feels real. That was that was beautifully done." And other times, yes. like, oh. yeah. yeah, no, okay. So I know we're like going way over, and people are going. Oh, by the way, this. I just I just realized um, uh, I wrote a book. I, I wrote many books. Yes, they're you have. they're they're uh, they're available uh, as eBooks, and they're posted on my website free. So you could actually pull it off uh, at one. And one of them is called um, uh, Therapy Interruptus. Therapy Interruptus. And I think the subtitle is From the First Contact to the, to the First Session. Mm. So it's all about marketing. And it's actually about marketing from the first contact where you're putting things out uh-huh. through marketing on the phone call, marketing in the first session. Because awesome. if you have a contact, doesn't mean you have an appointment. No. Because you have an appointment, doesn't mean somebody shows up. And when somebody shows up or you have a session, that doesn't mean you have a client yet. So yeah. there's a marketing process that goes through at least the first session to, yeah. to, to, to follow through on. Yeah. And so I'm going to read off some of your books. <laughs> How dangerous is this person? Assessing danger and violence potential before tragedy strikes, conflict control and out of control in couples and couples therapy. Uh, we've got uh, books about addiction and about down the relationship, rabbit hole, therapy, interruptus, mirror, mirror. So we will link that in the show notes, y'all oh, at zittyme.com forward slash podcast. And don't forget my, uh, my favorite one with the favorite, my favorite cover is called um, Scorpion in the Bed. <laughs> the, the narcissist. narcissist <laughs> uh, narcissism and the narcissist in therapy, in couples therapy. Oh, man. I had, um, I remember <laughs> one of my colleagues, they said like, oh, if you've got a couple that has a narcissistic person, like send them to me. And I was like, oh, for sure. Like, <laughs> See, and, and a lot of this is, you know, the, the conceptualization, marketing you know, it, it, and just like therapy, um, where people have a, a method or a, a kind of theory. And, uh, you know, I think, I believe that therapy is best done through diagnosis. In other words, if I work with somebody and there's trauma, then trauma is going to influence how I'm going to do the therapy. If I work with somebody else and they had a, a borderline parent or a narcissistic parent, then it's going to be different. If there's cross-cultural issues, 
if there's an affair, if there's an addiction, um, if there's this or there's that. So the assessment drives the therapy rather than having a way to do therapy. And you, you know, some people spend more time and energy sorting their laundry than doing assessment or diagnosis. <laughs> so, so, but that's also the same in terms of uh, marketing. But there is an aspect of it is that there are some principles to work off of, you know, yeah. and the principles is, you know, why should they pick you? And what makes you uh, credible? What are they looking for? Mm-hmm. What's their need? Um, and I guess one thing to say very provocatively is that uh, I always tell therapists, y'all are too damn positive. <laughs> you market yourself as I'm going to help you have a more authentic life. I'm going to help you have a, a more quality, loving relationship full of sex. You know, I'm going to help your kid <laughs> you know, do well in school. No, that's not why people go to therapy. They go to therapy because they're miserable. They go to therapy because they're, 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 they're going to break up and lose their relationship along with three kids. They're going to go to therapy because, or send their teenager to therapy because they're, they're, they're going to inspire with self-destruction. So this is basically a marketing principle. I don't know if I ever said this to you, Miranda, way back when, but that marketing has two principles. Is, and two principles are evil, negative principles, which is you're not good enough. And what you have isn't good enough. Your car isn't cool enough. And your hair is not blonde enough. I, I'm going to I'm gonna disagree with this part of it. I think for me, when I think about this, if I look at the principle and what we're doing, it's that we're really validating people's pain and saying, you're not alone. We hear you and see you. Other people have experienced this and there is help and hope and things can get better. And I think that piece of being able, but you have to look at what the pain is and you have to look at the misery. You have to be able to say that out loud. So someone can say like, oh shit, it's not just me. I'm not, you know, quote unquote crazy. I'm not the only one there. I'm not inherently flawed. Like Mm -hmm. this is a normal part of the human experience. And, oh, there's someone who was able to put it on a on a website that I could Google at two in the morning, it's that common. And like, and they're telling me, Hey, I've helped people before. Like, that's like a freaking magical superpower right. that we get to do as therapists, just from like knowing and empathizing with people. Okay. So I want to ask well, you this question. I want to say one last thing about the empathizing and the connection. Yeah. The title of my private practice working, my private practice uh, uh, workshop for therapists uh-huh. is uh-huh. called I hate insurance companies. <laughs> Building private practice with, with clinical integrity. And the reason is that and people relate to it. Like you said, yeah. empathy and the connectiveness. Yes. You know, it sounds like that's yes. terrible, but, but no, yeah, how many people love insur- insurance companies or have this no. same experience I have of, of yeah. a wave of depression? So yeah. that's being tuned in. You yeah. Know? And so as you're tuned in, and that sounds negative, but the integrity of it is that you, you work with the anxiety and the negativity, yeah. but you take it to the positive as well. Yeah. And so. That's you have I mean. to be, as long as we're not just selling them something that we don't need, we need to right. be able to refer out with integrity and say, that's not something I can help with. We need to manage expectations. We need to, ref- we need to close and terminate with people when they're done with therapy, damn it. And the amount yeah. of therapists that don't know how to tell when someone's done or how to have that conversation and say goodbye, it's a little bit too high for me, but that's, mm-hmm. that's my own little soapbox too. Okay. So Let's say there was someone like you who was um, in that place of 
transitioning a little bit older to a new, um, to this new career, what would be your biggest piece of advice to that person starting out? Um, the biggest piece of advice, well, it starts off with is like, you know, knowing yourself, the things we talked about in terms of like, what makes you, why do you want to do therapy? How does therapy work? What is it about you that is, is going to be more efficient, more competent, uh, uh, more special, you know, uh, and relating, you know, and it's more than just caring about clients. So, so there's, there's that part of it, which is pretty internal. And then um, the marketing is, you know, there's, there's, there's only a few ways to do marketing. There's advertising, which generally doesn't work. Yeah. Advertising generally works, which includes websites, but now at, for the most part, you know, and uh, <laughs> we, we could disagree I, on that one too. We could disagree on that, but I have a lot of data that says that okay. websites do so, work. So, so it, it, it depends. Uh, yeah. Maybe there's a nuance, but, but advertising, um, but then the content, this is where the content really matters. So, mm -hmm. so there's advertising, there is uh, networking, there is writing, getting published, and there's doing presentations and trainings. Mm -hmm. Okay. And my, I've done all of them. And there's also managed care, you know, you know, mm -hmm. sell your soul to the devil. But uh, uh, I've done all of them. But to me, the, the best way to do it is doing trainings and workshops. Mm -hmm. Because when you do a training or a workshop, whether it's video or in person, the person sits there and watches you for an hour or more going, who is this? Who's, who's this Miranda character? She seems interesting. She seems kind of smart, sense of humor, personable. And then maybe the, your therapy stories, you know, start showing some substance and then and uh, uh, sophistication. So you get scouted out. Now, mm -hmm. um, the writing is 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 useful because it creates content. But then depends on who's going to read it. The the networking can be very powerful. You know, in terms mm -hmm. of like uh, you know because. Huh. You know, I, I, I can't see any more clients. It's just, it's just impossible. And it's hard for me to refer because I got to really know and trust somebody to refer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's networking is not something, I think it's all about the way, right? Because you'll meet people who've done advertising, who've done writing, who've done workshops, who have done networking, what have you. And they will say, oh, that didn't work for me because they weren't taught how to do it effectively. Right. And right. that like going to a, an event and shoving business cards at people right. is never gonna build your practice. It's right. always going to be having relationships with people who like, know, and trust you in a deep way. Like that's- well, I mean, I think that's one of the ways that we, we I think we met online, but also we, mm -hmm. we met at the conferences. And yeah. I, I, I dearly miss uh, the conferences because of the quarantine stuff. But that's where like, I get to talk therapy, you know, shop with other therapists and get, get all excited about it. And, and then, you know, I got, I'll take a card from somebody who I had a really good talk with it. It was interesting, provocative. That's different networking. Yeah. So there's a part of presenting yourself and marketing, which is, and this is part of networking. Networking is whenever you're out, yeah. whenever you're out. Yeah. Standing in line to get on an airplane. Yeah. You know, Oh my goodness. If you're sitting next to me on an airplane, you're going to get a whole hour or more, <laughs> the whole flight. <laughs> At some point, it's going to come up. So, oh yeah, I'm a marriage family therapist and da, 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 da. And then I have this little trick where, uh, especially if I'm standing, but even when I'm sitting where, um, 
or if, if I'm on an airplane, I put it in this pocket here on, on, on my, my chest. Otherwise, it's in my left hand pocket. And I have this chair tick while I'm talking. I reach in and, and I, I get a card and I just pass it to the person while we're talking. And of course, they take <laughs> it. So there's a kind of a relentlessness to that. And, the, and that's really important because you don't know what will come up. And things have come up out of that. It's not a one to one correspondence no. by any means. But, you know, Over. since I, you know, I, I've, you know, I, yes, I do the business cards and I've gone through thousands and thousands of them, you know, I mean, uh -huh. a thousand a month, a, a thousand a year. Easy. Oh, it's like a month? Jeez, yeah. <laughs> They end up in landfill and everything else, but <laughs> the one that comes back is the one that matters. Yeah. You know? So, so the networking is, is uh, useful, but do you have to actually, you got to know how to present yourself. Yeah, that's yeah. marketing, you know. Yeah, um, you, well, I think it goes back to, and I know we do have to wrap up, but it goes back to that knowing thyself. Like you have to explore and know yourself and be able to talk right. um, about what you do. And I think even more than with confidence, with passion, um, right. like that that really basis, basic thing. And I think one of the ways that we got to know each other was through camp chapter um, um, experiences. Like I was on a camp chapter board, I think, you were to, I think there was like some of the leadership meeting things um, and some of those conferences that's like getting on a camp um, a camp board and the chapter perspective really helped me to kind of meet other people mm -hmm. who were leaders um, at various levels or what have you and I'm sure yeah. for you even as like a uh, like you're on the camp board of the state has probably given you places to make other relationships and connect with people. You know, um, the other really key thing, which I, uh, it's really important to point out is that since so many, so many therapists, uh, MFTs in particular, are uh, doing career transition change, mm. that means that they're, they're, they tend to be, you know, a lot of times on the older side, uh, you know, not in their 20s, but 30s, 40s, maybe 50s, even 60s. But they also come from other careers. Yeah. So, so how to take advantage of that other career? So my career uh, was in education and child development. So in, in the child development world, I'm a hot commodity in the sense that I'm, I'm familiar with the education, early childhood education world, the child development mm -hmm. world. And I'm a therapist. Yeah. So when you can, you know, straddle those two areas, then like, like when you know yourself and your skills, it's, it's powerful. I think it like going back to like the theme that I'm hearing from you is it's all about like that self-knowledge is just the integral foundation for what you're doing clinically, as well as the business side of things, just right. really knowing myself. And what happened for me was that later on, I started doing training for therapists. Mm -hmm. you know, which was like, which was really cool. It was like very impactful for personally, my ego feeling like, okay, other therapists will listen to me. That's really cool. Yeah. You know, but before I did that, I did lots and lots of work with parents, but particularly teachers, early childhood educators, where there it was like, or I'm already, uh, you know, um, uh, what, what they, I, I, I'm the toy in the happy meal. I'm, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's what's called oh, yes. marketing added value. Yeah because I have the expertise. So um, now that actually turned out where I actually made, and I still do, make significant income as a trainer in the early childhood world, Head Start and so forth. And here's these people sitting there watching me for hours and that becomes a referral source, you know? Yeah. So um, where you come from, what, what you've experienced, 
how can, how does that, how can you use that where becoming a therapist gives added value? So if you were in union work, which is one of my students uh, does that, if, if you were, if you were a teacher, if you were uh, uh, working in some company in business Mm -hmm. and so forth, Mm -hmm. you know, there, that's a natural place for you to, to, you know, show people the issues, yeah. the bridging of the issues. So you to exploit that and it becomes really significant in terms of uh, credibility and marketing. Oh. So find out what, what, what you, what you were, what, what your, 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 your previous journey was, what those contacts were. And if you can do trainings, that's a really big deal. Otherwise, you know, it is, uh, you know, I would say primarily networking, you know, yeah, I guess get, get a good website. And, you know, I, I, I have a great <laughs> website, but it, it's a, it, I, there's different yeah. orientations to that. Yeah. Um, writing is nice, but you, yeah. but uh, see, and this the one other thing I would say is that a lot of people, <laughs> yeah, I know Miranda, this is this whole thing is that you open my mouth and I just keep on talking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I gotta go to the bathroom soon, Ronald. Okay. Gotta... <laughs> but, um, <laughs> At the very least. One, one thing I've seen with therapists is that a lot of times, they do what they need to do to build their practice, yeah. but they don't do it consistently. Yeah. You know, and you, and you, you most, you more or less almost have to do it consistently compulsively, you know? <laughs> and I then, think I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do the wrap up cause I, okay. I do want to make sure, but I, I want to definitely validate that. I think what happens is that therapists do not create space and time for the business aspects of running their practice. And so then it means that as they ebb and flow with their caseload, the process of actually working on their business ebbs and flows. And so then they say like, oh, nothing is consistent and they haven't created passive ways to advertise their practice. And you're right. Like a website on its own doesn't do anything magical for your practice. But if your website is built on being findable for what people are searching for. And you know that 720 people a month are searching for this phrase um, in your area in particular, and you're the first person that they see. And then you have a message that speaks to that pain. That's magical. So that's a place where we can take our writing skills. And also then people will reach out to you for speaking engagements. There's so many options there. So check out ronaldma.com and his plethora of free publications for you to check out. If you are looking for more support in growing your practice, of course, we have 10 hours of free training from zinnime.com that you can check out. Also, if you're trying to figure out your practice starting or uh, growing or revamping a solo or group private practice, check out our business school bootcamp for therapists. We will walk you through every aspect, clinically, business, relationally, personally, mindset to creating a practice that really truly works for you and your clients. Until next time, y'all. Thank you, Ronald. See you later. I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay, and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice. Head over to zinnime.com slash podcast to check it out today. 
Until next time.